This story is brought to your ears by all our fantastic supporters on Patreon. To get in the action yourself with bloopers, extras, and the occasional early story, join us at patreon.com slash voiceofallmtg. We'd like to thank our newest patrons, Jeff Ginger and a certain random guy, for already donating. And our patron, Capitan Ra, would like me to remind you, don't underestimate the aerodynamic qualities of the common goblin. For more stories, or just a chat, visit voiceofallmtg.com. And now, Voice of All presents Bound and Bonded, Episode 5 of Guilds of Ravnica. You're going to visit her again, aren't you? Ambrellin says, standing in the doorway to my room. Technically, it's her room but she's been letting me crash here the past few months, since the accident. Her voice is calm, but her eyes crinkle at the edges, deepening toward her temples where the smoothness of her skin turns to rough bark. It's an obvious tell for the frustration she's harboring, a tell she's had since we were kids. I'm just going to drop off a little money for the orphanage. It's the least I can do. That's good, Tarek. It really is. But at some point, we're going to have to talk about what's healthy grieving, and what's obsession. Eventually, you'll have to forgive yourself and move on. And it'll be a lot easier if your emotions aren't tied up with the fate of an orphan. Of course. You're right. Twenty-eight years of Celestian training has taught me to maintain harmony with my friends and community above all else. But how can I forgive myself for causing a building to collapse, killing two dozen people? I force a smile, then pull my cap down over the points of my elven ears and pull my scarf up, obscuring most of my face. I'll need the anonymity where I'm going. This is the last time I'll see her. I promise. Thank you. Oh, there's one more thing. I'm afraid the neighbors have been complaining again. Umbrellan cocks her head, the sudden movement making the finches nesting in the branches of her hair ruffle their feathers. Are you sure you haven't heard any strange sounds? More worm noises? I roll my eyes. I know, I know. It's just that they're my neighbors. And if there's any kind of issue, I'd like to resolve it. Her fingers trace over the lacquered wood of the chariot cab I'd converted into a wardrobe. She opens the doors and kicks my old worm caller boots lined up across the bottom. A layer of dust has already accumulated on the worn black leather. She peeks behind the armoured uniforms as well. Remnants from my old life as a lead worm trainer for the Celestian army, before I'd made the mistake that had changed everything. They say they've seen the worm, too. Peeking through the stone ceiling. Said it had teeth the size of a butcher's knife. Look, I'm not trying to cause any discord, Ambrellin, but do you think it might be possible that your neighbours are over-meditating? Shamans have been calling the faithful to gather more and more often. Maybe your neighbours are seeing and hearing things in that heightened state. She considers this for a moment. Then she stoops over and lifts the edge of my bedspread. Umbrellan, I appreciate your generosity of taking me into your home, but do you really think I'd be able to fit a half-grown worm under my bed? Umbrellan drops the bedspread and sighs. <sighs> You're right. I'm being ridiculous. What kind of person would be delusional enough to keep a dangerous animal in a residential cooperative? I nod. What kind of person indeed? The tall, dark spires of Orzhov cathedrals loom above, seeding tension throughout my body. The entire skyline looks as if it's been smudged by soot, with arched stained glass windows glinting orange as the sun starts its descent. The flavour of oppression changes from one cartel's territory to the next, but I keep my head high, my eyes focused straight ahead, my fists clenched. I'd be better off taking the main thoroughfare a few streets over, where the streetlights are plentiful, as are the witnesses. But then I'd pass the site where the Basilica of the Opportune had once stood, one of the oldest churches in the Orzhov Syndicate. Well, it was until I'd ridden my worm underneath it, compromising its structural support and sending the whole thing crashing down into a pile of rubble. It was being remodeled at the time, 
nearly 50 construction workers refitting broken stained glass, refacing pitted stone, and regrading the surrounding ground so the spring floods wouldn't pool up against the building and drip down into the catacombs. Sometimes, when I close my eyes, I can still hear the screams of the people caught in the debris. I'd rather take my risks with a few ruffians than relive that day again. Oi. I look back and see a guy dressed in black leather with several strands of silver coins hanging around his neck. I see you walking this way quite a bit. Maybe you'd be interested in purchasing some insurance. You know, so you can be assured that you'll get to wherever you need to get in one piece. Mm, no thanks. It's a short walk. Maybe. But still, you never know when something might happen. He grinds his fist into his open palm. I've got some really reasonable rates. Suddenly, the weight of the coins in my pocket feels like a liability. He's already eyeing the bulge there. I'm good. I brought my own protection. I open my jacket, revealing the hilt on my hip. <laughs> a little knife like that won't get you far in a place like this. It's not a knife. I pop open the leather strap and pull out metal shears. These will cut through the densest, most enchanted bramble. Do you know the kind of damage enchanted bramble does to flesh? But he's too focused on my pocket to reply. I turn and walk quickly, crossing the street, but he follows. I slip my hand into my vest, pull a leather satchel full of bramble seeds out, and drop a handful at my feet. When the thug steps over them seconds later, I call upon the magic infused through all things, force the spell behind me, and turn to watch as the thorny vines erupt from the sidewalk, entangling my pursuer in their scratchy embrace. I leave him there, screaming, and double my pace until I reach the orphanage. It's an awful place. A crumbling, oppressive building that would be better served as a place to melt down old coinage than provide refuge to children. But, bit by bit, I've been donating my meager earnings to help improve their infrastructure. There's a small gap between buildings where the rubble of the basilica is visible. I try hard not to look at it, but, as usual, I fail. Jagged spires jut up through tremendous hills of blackened debris, like the remains of a long-dead campfire. Anything of value had been scavenged. Seems cruel that Bazda has to live here, within a stone's throw of where both her parents had died. I bite my lip and walk up the grey, dusty stairs and enter the front door. One day, I'll find the courage to talk to her, to apologise to her. But today is not that day. My mind so preoccupied, I run right into one of the children, smacking him so hard that my scarf falls from my face. I try to hastily put it back, but it's too late. He's recognised me. He jumps up and plucks the cap from my head, and the points of my ears poke out. If there was any doubt of my identity, there isn't any more. It's that worm caller! The kid says, tossing my cap to one of his friends. The thrall's ass who destroyed the basilica! No wonder he still can't pay attention to where he's going! And just my luck, Bazda is standing with an earshot. Small for her age, nearly drowning in the grey institutional smock she'd been issued. Her black hair sits upon her head in two buns. She turns, sees me. I turn away, searching for a caretaker so I can drop the money off and get on my way. But as usual, there are none to be found. Your name is Mud around here. Money's never gonna pay off the debt you owe. He spits on my boot. Hey! Basta says, grabbing my cap from his friend and making her way toward us. And who's gonna make me? Bazda pulls a six-inch hairpin from her right bun and jabs it at the punk, coming less than an inch away from his throat. Forget both of you, the punk says, sulking off. Bazda looks at me, handing me my cap, then styling her hair back into a perfect bun. I've seen you around before. You drop off a bag of zips every week, then stand around watching me. It's creepy. Are you a creeper? No! I'm not a creeper! I'm just a regular guy. You can ask anyone back home. Bazda purses her lips. Sounds like something a creeper would say. Look, I caused a terrible accident. I'm just doing my best to make it right. Can you get me my parents back? 
No. But I'm sure they're in a better- They're not in a better place, if that's what you were going to say. They're in the same place, but worse, because they're spirits now. They're so busy working off their debts, they don't have time to visit me. She crosses her arms over her chest. Oh. Seems to me you'd be better off trying to fix yourself rather than coming here, stinking the place up with your gloomy attitude. What's wrong with you? Uh, nothing. No job, no life, no friends. That about sum it up? I've got friends. I prickle all over. It's strange being interrogated by a 12-year-old, but she's got a lot of reason for her anger. Still, I feel the need to defend my own honor. Great friends. Savrin, he's a Loxodon, prawny as they come and isn't afraid of anything. Kellum is an architect who designs the most tranquil sanctuaries. He's human, but you know we don't hold that against him. And Ambrellin, she's a, she's a dryad, who's an artifact broker specializing in antiquities. We meet up once a week to- Wait, she knows about artifacts? Like, really old ones? Yes. Bazda sizes me up, then takes folded cloth from her pocket. She unwraps it and shows me a crescent-shaped piece of carved stone with a hole in the center and golden symbols etched all over. Even I can tell it's ancient. My father gave me this a couple days before he died. He found it during construction at the Basilica. I want to know what it is. I could show it to Umbrellin if you'd like. I'm sure she'd be willing to help. Even under the weight of the gloom of this building, of the gloom in my heart, I feel my chance for redemption. I can only imagine how much this artifact means to Bazda. Probably the last thing her father had given her. She raises an eyebrow. Can I trust you bring it back? You have my word that I will return it to you undamaged. I swear it upon the roots of Vitugazi. The Celestian forests welcome me home. And as the peaceful sounds of nature penetrate my mind, the heaviness of the Orzhov Syndicate eases out of my muscles. My shoulders relax, my fists unclench. Evening services are already in full swing, and I pass several shamans calling upon the power of faithful congregants to enchant a series of stone signets etched with the blessed symbol of the conclave. I'm nearly home when I get a sinking feeling I'm being followed could be any one of the Orzhov street thugs who tried to shake me down for insurance money on my way back from the orphanage. I toss another handful of seeds, then round a corner. I cast the spell, but I guess the assailant has avoided the brambles, because the footsteps keep coming. I go to pull out my shears as a backup weapon, but the leather sleeve is empty. I glance up as my assailant turns the corner, then sigh in relief. It's Bazda. Looking for these? She asks, holding up my shears. You little thief, I say, snatching them back. How did you get those? You thought I'd trust the word of a creeper? You have something valuable of mine. It's only fair I hold something valuable of yours. Here, then take your artifact and go home. I'm not contributing to the delinquency of a kid. Home? Nobody will even notice I'm missing, much less care. And besides, you have me traveling the streets at this hour? By myself? I've seen you work a pair of hairpins. You'll be fine. Bazda crosses her arms. Probably. But I still want to know about the artifact. This is where you live? She asks, looking up at our residential cooperative. A combination of polished white stone and tiered gardens. The topmost designed by Sedruna, the woodworker of the famed Topiary Grove. Kind of a lot of branches and leaves. It's a Celestian thing. Come on up, I guess. We cross through the gardens, up the stone stairs, through two atriums, passing the open doorways of other residents. Our downstairs neighbor waves. I wave back and hurry past, so they don't have a chance to talk to me about the worm noises again. Why aren't there any doors in your building? Why would we need doors? To keep people out. All are welcome in our home. Yeah, but what if someone tries to steal something? Well, that's just not something we worry over. We climb the final sets of stairs. It's easy to forget that much of Ravnica is focused on individual wants and gains. 
The breezeway opens onto a spectacular view of the rolling vista. The sun's dipped just below the horizon, the last remnants of day creating silhouettes of the loping Ryzen sanctuaries roaming in the distance. To the right, where darkness has already settled, the branches of the Vitu Ghazi are aglow with firefly light. I'm eager to show the artifact to Umbrellan, but I stay a little longer, just so Bazda has a chance to absorb it all. Finally, she's speechless. Come on, I say, tugging her through the archway of twisted branches that serves as the threshold into our home. Umbrellan, I've got something to show you. Umbrellan greets me with a wide smile. Tarek, you'll never guess who's come. She stops, looks at Bazda. Oh, hello, dear. Welcome to our home. I'm Umbrellan. She curtsies, her branches nearly touching the ground. Her finches flutter around Bazda in greeting, chirping happily. Hi, Bazda! Bazda says, with a cute curtsy of her own. Umbrellin's eyes flick to mine, searching for an explanation without appearing rude in front of her guest. It's fine. She's got this artifact she wants to show you. Maybe you can tell her more about it? Umbrellin takes the cloth-wrapped artifact from Bazda and gently unfolds each corner until it's exposed. She gasps. My father found it digging at the Basilica. Is it old? Very. These golden symbols, I've seen them before, on ancient it machinery. Technology from thousands of years ago, when they were still working heavily with stone and mana-infused circuits. Rare enough as it is, but it's a mystery how it would have ended up buried under an Ortsavian Basilica. Valuable? Priceless. Bazda shakes her head. Everything has a price! I'll speak with the brokerage magistrate tomorrow to see which guild holds the proper claim to this. This is only a small piece to something much bigger. Maybe someone's already found the rest of it? I doubt it. Word travels fast among antiquity brokers. I would have heard something. Tarek! Comes a voice from the dining room. Out steps Savrin, his trunk raised in excitement. He hustles over to us, arms outstretched. Peace and tranquility to you, my friend. Peace and tranquility to you as well, I say, carefully angling myself between his tusks and falling into a warm embrace. How are you? It's been nearly a week. Kaleem and I have just come to share a bit of blessed news. I've been granted a promotion. <laughs> the Kasana training grounds have reached maximum capacity, so they're planning a new facility on the other side of the North Ridge Forest. I'll be the director, and Kaleem has been hired to design it. Congratulations! But Northridge? Oh, that'll be a huge commute. You'll spend an hour easy trying to get across the concourse. Savrin exchanges an anxious look with Umbrellan. After a long, thoughtful moment, she nods. Oh, we're not commuting. We're moving to be closer to the- Moving? I bite my tongue and try to be a good Celestian, ignoring the pain tearing through my heart and instead nurturing the tranquility within me. I mean, moving. Of course, that would definitely be more convenient for you. I smile so hard, I feel like my teeth are about to shatter. Finally, I just can't take any more, and I storm off to my room. Tarek? Umbrellan says, easing her way in as the others crowd in the doorway. It's going to be fine. We can visit any time. I know. But it won't be the same. Our group is dissolving. This news hits me harder than losing my job and my reputation I had. I can't let this be it for our friendship. What if we could have one last adventure together? Before everyone is spread all over Ravnica. That's a great idea. We can visit the Tavieri Gardens next week. We'll pack a lunch and- That's just an outing. I want to do something we'll never forget. I think we should go find out what else is hiding under that basilica. Why can't we be the ones to discover it? Umbrellan shakes her head, then takes a seat on the edge of my bed. Something that old is likely buried very deep. It'd be impossible to dig for without the whole of the Ortsov Syndicate converging on us. What about a worm? We can dive as deeply into the ground as we want. No digging. I channel a calling spell. Something like a whistle to our ears but like a bright homing beacon to a worm. The mattress shifts under Umbrella, and she jumps up, 
watching as my bed becomes a lumpy mess. You were hiding a worm under your bed. I shake my head. Not quite. The worm is the bed. The bedspread is tossed off, and so is a thick layer of quilting covering a wooden pallet. Everybody stay calm. The worm uncoils from the tangle of sheets. Her beady eyes are trained on me, and her mouth hangs open, saliva dripping from row upon row of razor-sharp teeth. Good girl, I say, tossing a stick of rack-tusk jerky into her open maw. She's young, just over a year old, and already one ton of pure muscle. Amazing! Can I pet her? Sure. Absolutely not. She's harmless. To friends, anyway. I raised her from a hatchling. I can't believe you've been hiding that thing in my home. And now you want us to follow you into one of the most corrupt areas of Ravnica, looking for treasure with a runaway orphan. I'll go. Terex right. A major bonding event in the form of an adventure would provide a positive transitional structure to a long-distance friendship. I'll go too. I've got to admit, I'm curious about what lies beneath that building. Come on, Amberlyn. You know Izzet will scrap it to make some bigger and better invention, and Orshelf will just sell it to the highest bidder. Ambrellin holds up the artifact, a gleam in her eyes. Okay, we'll go take a look. Just a look. If anything feels wrong, we're leaving immediately. I grin. Yep, first sign of trouble and we're out of there. I promise. The worm cuts a path through solid rock, subsonic frequencies temporarily rendering stone into a state of liquid, allowing us to avoid the evening traffic and any shakedowns by Orzhov gangs. I'm armoured to the teeth in my old worm caller's uniform, my plating shielding me from the burn of the melted rock that surrounds us. The others are crammed into the fortified chariot cab that had previously served as my wardrobe. We're nearing the site of the collapsed basilica, but the worm is drifting back up toward the surface. I pull her reins, bidding her to dive deeper, but she's resisting. I scratch her on the side, right behind her ear divot. She purrs and calms some, though from the tense way she's holding herself, I can tell she's still hesitant. It doesn't matter in the end, because she delivers us to a long, rectangular catacomb chamber beneath the collapsed basilica. What's wrong, girl? Did something spook you? I pet my worm's snout and give her a treat as the others disembark. Savrin is shaking off the motion sickness, and if you've never seen a Loxodon dry heaving, well, be thankful. Kellum is mesmerized by the stone sculptures of giants, their backs hunched up against the curved ceiling as if they're keeping the whole place from caving in on us. Stress fractures meander through the stone, probably from the collapse above, but Kellum doesn't seem too concerned with their structural integrity. Umbrellan is taken with the thousands of ceramic urns that are shelved on either side of the sculptures, each decorated with golden coins. The Basilica of the Opportune dates back thousands of years, and the catacombs are even older. Some of these urns could be nearly... Her eyes catch on something at the far end of the chamber. She starts walking toward it, then hastens her step. We follow. It's another stone statue, a thrall this time, sitting back on its haunches, head bowed in servitude, arms outstretched and holding a chalice. The chalice is covered in layers of dust, but I can feel the manna streaming off it. It's an artifact. Ambrellin blows the dust away, revealing finely etched pictographs with emeralds lining the cup's rim. Carefully, she tries to dislodge the artifact from the statue's grip, twisting it to each side. Without notice, the entire statue tilts backward proceeding into the wall, taking Umbrellan with it. Kellum is the closest, and he reaches after Umbrellan, grabbing onto her leg, but he's being pulled into the pitch-black opening too. Savrin gets a good grip with his meaty hands, and Bazda and I help to steady him. Working together, we heave, 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 and Umbrellan is nearly out, but the vigour of our rescue has caused the stone around the statue to fracture. The floor has started to crumble as well. I look back at my worm and conjure a quick spell to call her forward. She's strong enough to pull us all out. I hope. But she's not responding. I whistle again, and she bristles, 
shaking her head like she's trying to rid herself of her harness. Come on, girl. I've got some jerky for you. She inches forward, eyes wide and crazed. But right before she makes it within arm's reach, she reels back and makes a jump for the ceiling. Stone goes liquid, and then she's gone, tail whipping through and stone solidifying again a half second later. I call for her twice more, but something has frightened her, and she's not coming back. Then the entire floor gives out, and there's nowhere for us to go but down. We're coughing rubble for a full five minutes, but the only casualties are some bruised ribs, a chipped tusk, and our pride. We've fallen fifteen feet, maybe twenty, into some kind of corridor, and I feel awful and cast an area healing spell to help with the scrapes and cuts. I'd promised we'd be gone at the first sign of danger, and now look at us. Stuck. It'll take a while, but if we stack the broken stone, we can make a set of stairs leading back up! Savrin lifts a boulder like it's filled with air. I lift a smaller, less impressive rock and stack it next to his. <sighs> Sounds like a solid plan. Umbrellan cuts her eyes at me, an unmistakable I told you so forming on her lips. But, even completely out of her element, she clings to the harmonious tenets of the conclave. Yes. She's straining to keep her smile from turning to bared teeth. It sounds like a good plan. You're mad at me. I get it. You've been nothing but kind and... I've been nothing but a disappointment. The bark near her temples is crinkling so hard, it's coming up at the edges. I'm not mad. Not even a little bit. I know we value serenity and the sacredness of friendship, but if you're bothered... You have to say something. I have spent the last three months in your home, eating your food, secretly kept a worm that harassed your neighbours, maybe kind of almost kidnapped a child, and got you stuck under a collapsed building in the middle of the Orzhov Syndicate. Okay. I'm angry with you. Are you happy? Umbrellin walks up to me, pounding her finger right into my chest plate. We've been patiently waiting for you to hit rock bottom so we could help build you back up, but instead you've managed to drag us down with you. Our get-togethers are all about tiptoeing around your feelings, and you've thrown off our chemistry, and now Saverin and Kellum are leaving because you've been so insufferable to be around. She stops, looks up at me, relief on her face for just an instant, before the remorse sets in. They're leaving because of me? Umbrellin shakes her head. Leaves rustling. I'm, I'm so sorry, Tarek. I didn't mean... No, I'm sorry. I thought I could lean on them for support. But I guess in times like these, you learn who your true friends are. Take care of Bazda. Get her back to the orphanage. You don't have to worry about me dragging you down ever again. I head away down the hallway, alone, except for the dozens of gargoyles perched in notches on either side. Eyes cast up, mouths open wide. They've been sleeping for centuries, maybe millennia, but I don't dare risk waking them. Guilt pecks at my brain. I'd gotten my friends into this mess, and I should be helping to find a way out. But at this point, I can't trust myself not to make it a hundred times worse. So I keep putting distance between us until I come to a stairwell that leads deeper into the depths of the catacombs. I take one timid step down, another, and suddenly I'm overwhelmed with the familiar scent of worm castings, the most highly prized fertilizer among Celestian gardeners. For a moment, I'm swept away by thoughts of my old life, traipsing through the forests in late autumn, digging through rich, black earth in search of worm cocoons. The translucent cocoons were about the size of a loxodon's fist, and inside you could see five or six little wormlings squiggling around. I'd trained hundreds of worms over the course of my career, growing them into tremendous, lethal weapons to protect our way of life. But that moment in the woods was always the best part of my job, holding in the palms of my hands all that potential power their futures unwritten. The good feelings slam to the recesses of my mind when I get to the bottom of the stairs, P-1. 
peek around the corner and see three adult worms blasting the walls of the chamber with their subsonic emanations. Spirits, impervious to the vibrations, wipe away the liquefied rock before it can solidify. At the centre of the chamber sits a circular stone machine, with a large lever protruding out at chest height, something like an antiquated mill with similar markings as Bazda's artefact. Definitely the Azet technology Umbrellan was talking about. Copper coins lay in piles around the machine. A stout man with the undeniable look of desperation in his eyes orchestrates the workers. He's dressed in white robes with black cording, though the dust has rendered his outfit into shades of grey. An Orzhov Pontiff, if I remember their rankings right. There's an old, leather-bound tome hanging from a worn strap slung over his shoulder, and an impish thrall follows him around, practically his shadow. Vasta! It's got to be buried around here somewhere. The Pontiff jabs one of the worms with his staff, the business end a sunburst of jeweled amber. The worm wails out in pain, a deep cry I feel in my chest. Cries like that can travel over half a mile. No wonder my worm had been spooked. Savarin's big hand comes down on my shoulder, tugging me back. He doesn't look like the kind of guy who takes kindly to uninvited guests. Come on, Amberlin wants to apologize, then we can work on getting out of here. Another thump hits my other shoulder. It's not Savarin's reassuring hand this time, though. I don't dare twist my head. From the look in Savarin's eyes, I can't even imagine the half-dead Orzhov creature that's got a hold of me. It's... 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 Savarin is definitely not whispering anymore. My eyes dart to the gargoyle perched behind him. I think it shifted ever so slightly. It's... Squeak! comes a tiny voice in my ear. I turn and exhale sharply. Oh, it's just a rat. I pull it off my shoulder and show Savarin. His eyes are clasped over his mouth, stifling a scream, but a little trumpet of fright escapes his trunk. Now, the gargoyle behind him is opening an eye. It sees us, intruders, and starts shrieking. Then all the gargoyles are emitting ear-piercing sirens that echo throughout the catacombs. Before we know it, spirits have surrounded us. The pontiff elbows his way through them. Blessed spirits, what do we have here? Looks like trespassers, master. The thrall lurches forward to crouch at the pontiff's side. Its voice is a hollow, wet rasp. Exactly what I'd expect from a creature molded from dead fish. And who knows the fine for trespassing in these sacred catacombs? Twenty thousand zibs, master. Says one of the spirits, eyes cast downward. Or ten thousand labor hours. I'm guessing you don't have 20,000 sibs on you. He points his staff at me. The amber stone lights up, and all my valuables rip out of my pockets. My enchanted bramble seeds, my shears, and a few coins. <laughs> Those are mine! Ah, but the Olzhov Syndicate considers possession 99 hundredths of the law. And now I possess them. He hands the staff and my belongings to his thrall, then opens his leather-bound book and flips through dozens of signed contracts until he comes to a blank page. He taps his finger on the pristine parchment and words bleed through, dictating the terms of my indentured servitude and a spot for my signature and the date. Sign it or become worm food. Worm food seems like the easier choice, but I sign a fake name and hope for the best knowing the others had heard the siren, alerting them to danger. I know Umbrellin's mad at me, but our friendship has deep roots, and she'll stop at nothing to find a way to free us. Once Savarin has signed too, the Pontiff hands us each a bucket and commands us to get to work. The spirits seem to forget that living people need breaks, and they pile up buckets of gravel faster than we can haul them off. I carry one in each arm as I walk down a short hallway that opens into another catacomb chamber. This one shelved with neatly stacked bones and skulls with coins inset into their eyes, burial practices from an even earlier era. 
Statues line the circular room as well, some human, some thrall, even a vampire with her fangs bared. At the centre of the chamber is where we dumped the crushed stone, an ominous hole that leads further down into the forgotten histories of Ravnica. I dare to peek into the darkness, wondering how deep it goes, and if the fool would kill me, or just leave me with broken bones and regrets. You shouldn't linger, says the spirit who comes up behind me. She dumps the contents of her bucket into the hole. Worm saliva, sickly dark with yellow foam. A sure sign of a distressed worm. Sorry, I hustle back ahead of her. So what does that machine do, anyway? She looks around, then speaks with a voice so soft and scratchy, it turns my skin to goose flesh. It mints gold coins out of copper. Some is its invention that was stolen by Master's great-grandfather twelve generations back. He used it to amass great wealth that launched him into a position with the elite. The family's dirty little secret. But it's missing a piece. I immediately regret it. But instead of the spirit looking suspicious about how I know that, she seems racked with guilt. Somehow, despite being an apparition, she manages to go pale. You know where it is, don't you? She shakes her head quickly, but then I notice the resemblance is there. Same mousy face and slight build, dark grey hair that had probably been black in life. You're Bazda's mother! Please, we've already lingered too long. She runs off ahead of me, and I sprint after her. She misses you. She's here, in the chamber, just above. Let's sneak out of here when the pontiff isn't looking. We can't. We are bound by contract. The law magic would just pull us right back here if we dared to run away. Caden, Zevora, you're late. He passes his staff to his thrall attendant, then cracks open his tome. One day added to your debts. Zevora makes a tiny scratch onto a long row of marks. The pontiff then flips to my page. I feel the strain of the law magic forcing my hand to make the mark. There will be plenty more of those to come. <laughs> I tense, and suddenly the weight of the contract sinks in. I'm going to be indebted to him forever, and not even death, especially not even death, will free me, unless I make a move right now. I grab the book, then run over to Savrin, who's carrying three full buckets in each hand. He drops them as I toss the book at him. <sighs> Rip it up! Rip it all up and we'll all be free! Savrin obeys, and his big hands crack the binding of the book while I hold the pontiff back. Pages rip next, and the book is nothing but shreds. I think I can feel the contract's bonds weakening already. Who are you anyway, Caden? The pontiff looks searchingly into my eyes, like maybe he's recognized me. And what were you doing down here? Nobody and nothing. Hmm. We'll see about that. He snatches the staff back from his attendant, then scrapes the amber tip along the stone floor as he draws a circle around my feet. Suddenly, I'm standing as straight as a board and my tongue feels like it's been transformed into a weapon. I'll ask again. Who are you and what are you doing here? My name is Terek and my friends have come down here looking for treasure to bond our relationship after I ruined everything by steering a worm under this very basilica and causing it to collapse. <sighs> I hadn't meant to say any of that, but he's put me under the influence of a verity spell, a strong one, and my own words betray me. But there's one thing I cling to with all my might, our only piece of leverage, that Bazda has the missing piece of the machine. I meditate, surrounding that thought with mental armor. I thought you looked familiar. You can ease your conscience, Terek. You and your worm were just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Seems I got a little too ambitious with the digging down here and knocked out some support structures I shouldn't have. But it's good to know you have more friends around. I'll use every set of hands I can get. The pontiff sends a group of spirits to retrieve my friends, then waves his staff in the air leaving wisps of grey smoke trailing behind it. The smoke sinks down to the ground, 
covering the scrapes of parchment and ripped binding in an eerily glowing fog. Then, the pontiff reaches down into the mist and pulls back a perfectly bound book, pages all intact. He looks at me and smiles. Oh, you're going to be in debt to my family for generations. My stomach pitches when the spirits come back, pushing Umbrellin, Kellum, and Bazda ahead. Their eyes go wide when they see the worms and the machine. Bazda breaks from the spirit's grip, barreling right into me with a tight embrace. It's okay. I'm going to find a way out of this. Get over here. He rips her away from me. Let's see what we've got. He waves his staff over Umbrellin first, but she keeps nothing the pontiff would find of value on her. Her only adornments, the branches winding down her arms and a necklace made of autumnal leaves. He gets a dagger from Kellum, and then he turns to Bazda. I close my eyes. He's going to find her artifact, and his machine will be complete, and our usefulness here will have run its course, and there's no way he'd let us go, knowing what we know. Sign or become worm food. I open my eyes, and he's passed his staff to the Thrull, who's only holding the dagger and Bazda's hairpins. Where did they hide the artifact? Bazda nods at me, then I look down, noticing a bump under my armour that wasn't there a moment ago. I discreetly feel along its edges, the shape of a crescent with a hole in the middle. Her quick, thieving hands had planted it on me without me even noticing. Master, this worm has stopped moving. The pontiff grabs his staff and stomps over to the worm, body gone slack against the cold stone floor. He jabs the pointed end into the worm's flesh, and the amber sunburst lights up, delivering a jolt of pain magic to the animal. It shudders for a moment, a black web radiating out across the skin. He shocks the worm again, but this time there's no response. What are you all standing around looking at? We've still got two worms! Find that missing piece by the end of the day, or I'm adding another year to everyone's debt! As soon as the pontiff has gone, I run over to the worm. I put my hands on the pulse behind his jaw, feeling the faintest of beats. The eye turns to me, and I'm struck by the look of recognition he gives me. A dark, thick tear running down his face. He's one of mine. I know it. The others could be too. But it wouldn't matter either way because the pontiff is going to pay dearly for this. Don't linger. Bazda's mother's got her bucket filled with worm saliva. I pick up two filled with gravel and walk quickly ahead of her until we reach the catacomb chamber, far enough from prying ears. Mom, I could really use your help. I've got a plan to free me and you and everyone else the pontiff has got bound by contract. All I ask of you is to do these two simple things. Bazda's mother stands at the hole in the centre of the chamber, looking down into its depths. The pontiff stands next to her, looking down as well. He just jumped. I guess the work was too rough for him. You know how elves are. Pity. At least I've still got the Loxodon. Definitely the better worker of the two. He hands his staff to the Thrall, as he always does before opening his contract book. Then he flips to the page I'd signed. The pontiff raises his hands, and as he casts the spell, I'm close enough to see where the expiry date bleeds into the paper. And yet, the pontiff doesn't notice me. The first thing I'd asked of Bazda's mother was that she fetch the pontiff and tell him that I jumped. There was no other entry or exit to the room, so it was obvious that's the way I had to go. The second thing I'd asked was to borrow her bucket of worm saliva. I'd rubbed it upon my entire body, the experience, I can't say that it was a positive one, but it gave me a nice tacky coating for gravel to stick to. After two applications, I looked as much like a stone statue as any of the others lining the walls. I struck a pose, then waited. And now is my chance to strike. I barrel toward the pontiff at full speed, then swipe the contract book with one hand. I catch him by surprise, and it goes flying. I grab onto him, wrestling him toward the hole. He's scrappy, 
and I've spent my whole life atop the backs of beasts a thousand times his size, and with two hard flips, I pitch him into the hole. Four seconds pass before I hear a flesh impact and bones snap. I wince, then race for the book, tearing up contract after contract. I look back at the thrall who's still standing there, holding the staff. Come on, help me with this and we can all go free, including you. He won't be able to put the book back together without his staff. The thrall slowly turns to face me. From the hole, we hear the pontiff moaning. There's a flash on the thrall's face, and before I can plead with him to stop, he's jumped in after the pontiff. Moments later, I hear the ripping of muscles and ligament. Amber light flickers down deep as the pontiff wields his flesh magic. Change of plans. Then I'm running back toward the others. I pull the artifact from beneath my armor and give it to Umbrellin. Do you think you can get that machine working? I think so. The magic is strong, but the mechanics are simple. I'll just need someone to push. I can do it. Savarin flexes his muscles. Ten minutes later, the piece is in place. Kellum and Basra are dropping copper coins into the feeder. Savarin is pushing the lever around and around. And as the top stone grinds against the bottom one, purple sparks fly and the hairs on my arms stand on end. I keep checking over my shoulder, looking for the pontiff, but the hallway stays silent. The first gold coin tumbles out the chute, and I catch it in my hands. I bite it, and it looks like the real thing. A dozen more tumble out, then fifty. The spirits count them out into buckets of five hundred Xenos each. I ask each of them how much they have left on their debts, and divide the money between them, ready to buy their freedom. Everything stops when we hear a click, click, click coming toward us. Moments later, the pontiff emerges into the room, one arm hanging lower than the other, and his jaw sitting too far forward. Blue-grey flesh peeks out from beneath his robes with each step, and it takes me a moment to realise that he's fused the thrull to his leg. Its head, now where the pontiff's foot had been, the thrall's golden faceplate hitting the stone tile with each step. It's over. I set a bucket of Xenos before his feet. I'm paying off all of our debts. We are no longer bound to your contracts. And with my words, I feel the law magic loosening its grip. No! The machine is mine. Those coins belong to me. You have no claim. But we do. You said it yourself. Possession is 99 hundredths of the law. I grin. Bazda waves at him, sitting atop the coin mill. I will make more money. Money to feed into the syndicate. Money to fund wars. All other guilds will fall, starting with Selesnia. We'll be leaving now. It was nice doing business with you. And with that, the spirits stretch up their ethereal bodies suddenly lighter, and they disappear through the rock. My friends and I make our way back up the stairs, toward the chamber and half-finished set of stairs. I whistle, calling the worms below, hoping they remember their training. They show up moments later. I strip out of my armor and hand it to Bazda. Here, put these on. It's about to get a little hot. Umbrellan looks at me. You expect us to ride a worm out of here, without protection? We'll melt. It's not far to the surface. Five, ten seconds max. Five seconds of molten lava in our faces. Or ten. Alone, we couldn't make it. But if we work together, sticking close, casting healing spells, and weaving them together into something greater than the sum of its parts, I think we'll make it. I believe in Terek. I think it's a good plan. I agree. I do too. It's a good plan. We all climb upon the worm and hold on tightly. I pat the worm and speak softly to her, hoping the abuse she's endured hasn't nullified all her training. I've still got a few jerky crumbs in my pocket. I toss one in her mouth. Come on, girl. Let's do this. I lean forward, taking my time like I'm training a hatchling, even though time is the one thing I'm short on. She moves forward, gains some confidence, and trust starts to build. She worms her way up the gap to the catacomb where we'd entered, 
and by the time we've reached the other end of the chamber, she's moving at a steady clip. It's time. Start your spells. I pull back, directing the worm to jump toward the ceiling. Healing spells encompass the five of us, the others meditating with all their might as I steer. The heat hits my face, burns, but I hold steady, and finally, the curtain of molten lava parts, and the cool of the night soothes away our wounds. Never in my life would I have thought to be so glad to be breathing the sooty air of the Orzhov Syndicate. Two of the spirits are sitting there, waiting for us. It takes Basdra a long moment, but she finally puts it together. Mama? Papa? The strong little girl I thought incapable of softness breaks down into tears. There was a little money left over after all the debts had been paid. I hand it to Bazda. Here's something for you to restart your lives together. Thank you! But that man, won't he keep using the machine? Won't he make war? Not anytime soon. She hands Bazda's artifact back to her. I told you you'd get it back. You always keep a promise. We part ways with Bazda's family, the four of us dragging ourselves back to Umbrellin's cooperative. But when we hear screaming coming from her downstairs neighbor's apartment, we hasten our steps. We enter their home to find my little worm girl curled up on their bed, slobbering through to the mattress. Looks like she found her way back home. Give or take a floor. We all start laughing. Well, minus the neighbors. This feels good. All of us together like this. I don't know what the future holds. If I'll be able to clear my name and get my job back, or if Savrin and Kellum will still decide to leave. I do know that the future is full of possibilities, and our bond is something that will never be broken. Thank you for listening to this production of Voice of All. As listener-supported entertainment, we rely on you not just for the voices of the characters, but also to keep us going and growing. If you enjoyed what you heard, please support us by rating and reviewing us on iTunes, or following us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts, or just plain sharing with your friends. You can also support us financially on Patreon for exclusive perks. Bound and Bonded was written by Nikki Drayden. The podcast was produced and edited by Gendo Keshi, with sound editing by Christina Edelman. This week's story featured the voice talents of Jacob Eccles, Rachel Toiba, Eric Bright, Jared Raman, Hannah Wright, Kit Harrison, Keo, Stephen Province, Joe Loaf, Grace Noir, and Penny. Voice of All is unofficial fan content, permitted under the Wizards of the Coast fan content policy. Magic the Gathering is copyright, Wizards of the Coast. Thanks so much for listening, and y'all have a great day.